Starting season three of that show, it's been announced, and I'm also putting together some live performances, which um, will be starting in June. I do film score remixes of my own work, um, and uh, I have a couple of home projects coming up that are um, for the summer. Mm -hmm. Kind of, I guess, not not uh, not nameable yet, but. Um, Starting to look at scripts and and uh, works for that, and um, also working on a longer term project, which is um, with orchestral suites from from the show uh, in the center, as well as some independent concert works mm -hmm. that uh, will be for concert next year. So, so I know every project uh, is a little different. Um, based on the different directions you get from the showrunners or the directors. Is there anything in your process that must remain the same? Uh, from season to season? So, um, I like to say that this show has kind of the best of both worlds, and that it's, <clears throat> it's a series with continuity, but each season uh, is anthologized. It's a crime that um, we kind of come to understand why and how. Um, um, over the course of the season. So that pattern continues with season three. And what it allows is, like, musically, I get to shape a whole new world right. each season. Mm -hmm. um, and also have some threads of continuity. Okay. So um, since Bill Pullman's character is kind of the through line, and also I would say there's certain kind of aesthetic, like, meta-guiding uh, principles mm -hmm. that apply. Um uh, it's a really interesting thing to work with as a composer who, you know, I love to develop ideas over a longer arc. Um, and so episodic series do that already. And then this is kind of um, particularly nutritious because <laughs> I get to do the super long arc as well as these kind of condensed mm -hmm. world building um, things over the course of eight episodes, right? And, and then finding the cross-pollination, whatever that, those through lines, certain themes that, that do continue, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, kind of figuring out how that character evolves. And so it's not a static thing. It's not like the signature of the show is X, because right. it really is about this developing the psychological journey. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And then um, I'm trying to think if there's, if there's another part of the question. Um, it's your method, oh, the, your approach. Um, oh, what has to be the same? For you. Oh, for me. In general, in scoring? Um, uh, really, engagement with the material. You know, that really finding a way in. Where mm -hmm. I, I actually was talking a little bit with Trevor about it earlier. I think it's really important for uh, any creative, and including the composer, to find a way to resonate with the story material and like use that as the anchor, obviously, for um, you know, whatever I'm bringing to flesh out that uh, world. Because okay. um, in terms of uh, setup, you know, obviously, you know, we, we try to have like certain aspects of the workflow. Mm -hmm. It's good to have, 
you know, build a foundation, obviously, because the schedule turnaround is so quick. So, for sure, I mean, I have lots of efficiencies that I build in, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of a pleasure in and of itself, just figuring out how to um, kind of maximize the creative time in such a tight schedule. Right. Um, I remember reading somewhere that you, um, now with kids, you have to have all your pro productivity in a perfect <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, range yeah. of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so they're still all-nighters, of mm -hmm. course, but there, there are certain hours that are sacrosanct for family time. Right. And, um, I mean, actually, I think it's it's really, I found it to be a plus, and um, it makes sense because they kind of show, like, everybody needs to, like, your brain actually needs a little bit of a break. Right, right. Um, and so, for me, that time with my kids provides an alternative mm -hmm. perspective, a different way of being that then when I come back to the studio, it's like, I'm... I'm fresh, mm -hmm. even if I'm exhausted, I'm still fresh <laughs> creatively, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So I've, even though it, uh, I've actually found it fun because it um, it makes every moment a little bit uh, more dense with experience, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also just uh, learning how to um, kind of clearly set up what is the question that I'm answering in this scene, mm -hmm. for example. Um, you know, being clear about how I'm mapping out the contours mm -hmm. of the, the experience, both obviously in the whole episode, but also within a scene. So, um, yeah, there's a high emphasis, I think, not just on efficiency, but on clarity of what is it that I'm doing as a storyteller. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I think that also, not only does it save time, right, mm -hmm. um, but also, um, I think it makes the work better because really our job, everybody who's working on mm -hmm. a, a TV show or a film, is like the job is really to tell the story in an immersive, engaging way. So mm -hmm. it focuses um, my attention on kind of the, the most important um, like bones of it. Right. So do you have a Favorite moment, or most memorable moment of finding the right sound. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, from from season two. Let's do season two. Oh, in general, let's do season two since we're playing a clip today. Um, I think finding um, there quite, there's quite a bit of live playing that I do on on season two. Um, even more so than season one, and not just traditional instruments like you know, there are certain violin motifs and um, uh, that figures more prominently. But also, uh, for example, like harmonium is actually a pretty key player in certain parts of the themes, and um, I really enjoyed. Um, I love as somebody who works both with acoustic instruments and with electronics. I love finding that. Uh, part of the Venn diagram where they overlap and actually you can't tell mm -hmm. which is which. Um, and, you know, with the harmonium and the tremolo, um, it basically has a very organic uh, pulsation that evolves with the amount of wind going through the bellows. And I found that it had a very um, 
kind of what I go for in the language for the show in terms of the synthesized elements, which is this kind of, uh, you know, synthetic organic, just right on the borderline. So I found the harmonium was, even on its own, kind of right in that wheelhouse. And then also kind of became the basis for more processed sounds as well. But I thought that was really, I knew it was going to be, but I'm like when I had the insight of, you know, what, what flavor would start to um, also articulate some of the darkness, the particular color. Okay. <laughs> Season two. Um, that was just like a, a delightful moment when I started to lay down some some of the um, some of the themes with that. Uh, I just could feel that it was going to be a good element to incorporate. Uh, so it was nice to when I brought that material to the production team. It was like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it was great to have that um, reflected back. Like, I was on the right path. Right. Yeah. So how do you get yourself into that headspace to come with, especially with darker, more emotional? Um, um, I think since also I'm coming from a performance background, I've kind of uh, learned through of experience just doing it of like entering a space you know um, and I've experimented over the years with a lot of different ways of kind of ramping in and you know what do I need and then now I'm in this place <laughs> where I'm like I think that yeah just a recall okay <laughs> yeah yeah when you build it's kind of a, it's a, a little bit like a trodden path but in your own brain where um, I do think that you know it's like when they do brain studies of people in creative uh, activities, mm -hmm. uh, there are certain uh, frequencies and um, kind of patterns that happen. So I think that uh, learning what that feels like subjectively for me, or you know, for, you know, if, if another artist is like looking for that, and it's like getting familiar with what it feels like on a physiological mm -hmm. level to be there. I think it's it's not that it's like predictable and you can control it, but I do think that like entering a certain uh, field of experience and that creative brain space is something that can be uh, strengthened and shored up in practice. Sure. Like the more you practice it, it's not that you know what material is going to emerge. And sometimes material emerges in these, you know, also like when you're taking a walk or you're taking a shower or whatever, like... Uh, there are non-linear moments of insight, too, which then you incorporate. Okay. Uh, so it's a combo. It's like I'm always, I would say, it's a real delicate balance of, like, quote-unquote, turning it off or pressing pause. Mm -hmm. There's also, at the same time, this layer of, like, the story is always, if I'm working on certain projects, mm -hmm. like, I let the story kind of be with me all the time, a little bit, oh. in the background. Okay. There's ways of kind of managing it. You know, sometimes you need to be like, not now, right? But yeah, I mean, so you can't. It's a that's a whole interesting question. I feel like it's, I'm still experimenting with with that. But I think you want to be open to. Sometimes it's so subconscious mm -hmm. that you like realize, oh, uh, I just something just came up that I can use. Um, I think a lot of the best materials just at the border of consciousness. So you, but you get used to listening to that and, and bringing it in. And then when it comes time to 
sit down and kind of generate a lot of material, that's, I think, that space where I was talking about, like, you kind of learn what it feels like to be in that productive space. And so, given all you've learned, given all you've learned and still learning, yeah. what advice would you, do you wish you had been given when you were younger well, one kind of overarching piece of advice would be that, like, um, every piece of advice that you get is subjective. So you, um, ultimately, uh, you're going to have to form your, synthesize your own uh, point of view and approach based on, you, know, you don't, it's not in a vacuum, right? So you seek, I think it's really good to seek input and advice. Also to... Um, not to swing from one, because you'll hear opposite advice in terms of the craft, the art, and also business. Like, there are very different points of view coming from all successful people. Dependent on the, their personality and um, just the way their life has gone. So, and that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's kind of like there's no objective data, there's only. But you, if you have enough subjective inputs, mm -hmm. uh, you can start to get to know the environment. Uh, and ultimately, you have to kind of learn how to... So that's, I think that, that that's advice I would have um, probably would have benefited from, for sure. You know, it's like, for instance, I like guess a violinist, mm -hmm. you know, um, early, very early on, there's teachers who come from one technical school, and then um, you go somewhere for a festival over the summer and they say, oh no, this is the way, and they will try to strip down all technique and build something different. And then, um, so just kind of, uh, you know, always listening, but also filtering and sifting and uh, being proactive. Um, you know, trusting that if you're, that you're also a valid, um, uh, you know, source of opinion. Okay. <laughs> You know, spring through fall with like winter on. Okay. Um, it may shift a little this season. I guess stay tuned. Because um, <laughs> I, I haven't said when the next one is going to drop. Okay. Right. So. Uh, every project is different. Um, but you've worked with this uh, much a same director. Uh, producer for Brian Hill House. Yeah, quite, quite, quite a few projects. projects. Yep. Um, is there something in your process that must remain the same? Because I know your creativity, your imagination. Um, you know, you want to is there anything to your approach that must remain the same? Anything that we approach that Ross remains the same? Uh, anything in your approach to a project oh. has to remain the same. I mean, I, I think that. I think that no matter what the project, we always try to 
exhaust the options early on as far as like trying things that may or may not work. If there's time. Um, if there's time. Yeah, if there's time. Sometimes, okay. I mean, there's been cases where we've had two weeks to write 85 minutes of, of music. And so in that case, there's not time. Um, but even within that, I think the whole time, even in that project would be a good example. That was the movie Extinction. Um, even within that process, we found time to like, let's, let's do the chaotic, scared bit of... I mean, because you, you, you spent... Because like, that was science, science fiction. We can talk about that. <laughs> but that one, um, we spent most of the time on just like three or four pieces of music. Mm -hmm. And I would say maybe for me and, and for you, I think 60%, 70% of our time went just on those four pieces of music, even though there's 90 minutes of music in the, mm -hmm. in the film. So we just kind of took those pieces and put other elements of it in other places of the, of the film. And so I think that really, you know, allows us to um, kind of bring it all together and, and make it kind of something that we need to do as much as possible. And I think, it's, you know, obviously the lesson, I think the, they gave us like two or three weeks on that. I think any less than that, you pretty much can't do that. Yeah. How do you guys get yourselves in the, the right headspace for what you're writing? I know, I personally, we might have sort of somewhat different, but usually I'll make a playlist that may or may not have something to do with what I think I'd like the score to be, and it will just help sort of inform my emotions, and then I, I usually like to run every morning, so... Mm -hmm in the period leading up to a project, I'll usually listen to that playlist and let it sort of like just sit on me. Even, even if it's, even if it's not something, even if it's not a direction that I know we're going to go and there'd be something about it, that mm -hmm. I, an emotion that I want to sort of feel. Anyway, I don't know about you. Yeah, I think very similar. I think just the same. I think for me, it's, it's a lot of times, especially if it's something you really relate to, kind of start to feel like what you musically what it's going to be um depending on what the director wants but that's a similar thing and go running and just kind of um also we go back and forth in ideas we just kind of brainstorm a bit between us and that also sets what's going to come a lot what is your favorite or most memorable moment of finding the right sound oh great question that's a great question I've never been asked that before yeah I've read a few interviews, and that was trying to like not ask you the same questions over and over. Oh, it's great, great question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's always great to have that moment where you're sitting with a director, or you get an email, or a phone call, or a text mm -hmm. from a director, and he or she will say, "Like, this is it. Like, we we got it." Like, I think I think you know, uh, for for me, there is one film I can say that about. I wouldn't say it's like. It's not my favorite sound or even my favorite movie, mm -hmm. per se. Um, I did love working on it, and the director was great. But um, they had they had let go of the previous composer. And so we didn't have a lot of time. And um, just, you know, he was having problems getting things to work, what she wanted. And then, and then we kind of stepped in. And it took us maybe two or three attempts on The Bye Bye Man. And we finally locked in this, this sound for um, this character. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody, everybody really loved it, and it was, you know, it's a little bit ostentatious, and but, you know, it, it was what they wanted, is what they were looking for, and I think when you find that, it's like, okay, good, now we have this, now we can move, move forward. 
and that was a big hurdle because you know you can have all the crazy sounds, all the stuff you want, but end of the day, if you're not if you're not getting what that director wants, then you're failing. So, and, and the Haunting of Hill House had an interesting one too because we were working on score to scripts and ideas uh, that Mike had sort of given us and sending stuff to him mm. and. In, in finding that, you have to really explore. You can't add just a little salt or a little pepper to the, like the dish. Sometimes, sometimes you need to like take everything out or put everything in, and then strip things out. Mm -hmm. and, and I think Haunting Hill House was an interesting one because we sent over a batch of cues at one point that we were really worried that we'd gone too far. We went from like some sort of like robustly written themes to like real stripped down versions of themes, and. Um, that was that was memorable because I think we were sort of worried about what what how it was going to be perceived and and we got a, a really nice note back knowing that we were going sort of in the right direction. So of course, yeah, and that's always. I mean, I think anytime that initial when no one's heard anything, mm -hmm. that initial moment, it's just like it's like a date. You know, you're going on a date, like oh, you don't know how this is going to go, <laughs> yeah. and you, you're, hey. did I do too much? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think luckily, with at least with Mike, we we have the opportunity to. To go, <laughs> to, yeah, go real far to the edge. Let him just be like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's awesome. Um, last movie or show that uh, where the music moved you? Movie <laughs> or show? Oh wow! Let me think about this for a second. I'm so bad about watching uh, Midnight. On, that could be something you've worked on. Midnight on the Orient Express. Okay. That there's an end sequence. Mm -hmm. It's like a ten minute sequence, and it's a ten minute cue. Uh, it's Patrick Doyle, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I know Mary Poppins. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just the, the he he hinted um, Mark Shaman, right? I believe mm -hmm. so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He he hinted at the original, just a spoonful of sugar. He hinted that in mm -hmm. the music in a few, a few places, but he didn't actually have a full blown. You know, and I was just that like got me all tickled, and all of course the new pieces of music, and you know, just nostalgic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think I was grinning throughout that whole movie. Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, so I think for me that that would be man, nice, cool. Awesome. Yep. Time for one more, but um, right. any advice you would uh, advice you wish you would have been given when you were a younger aspiring musician? Uh, don't wait. Yeah. Don't wait, don't go slow, and don't be afraid to be sort of bold, make, take some chances. Yeah, I think I think that would have been nice to have that. Kind of, I think if you just get out there and you do it, mm -hmm. you start building relationships and yeah, and just and just grows. And I and I think that's it's funny because what do they say? It takes ten thousand hours to get good at something. They're outliers. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I I think. I kind of believe in that, you know what I mean? It's something you want to do. Talent is great, but just hard work, dedication, putting it in the hours really shows. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank your husband. I will. Alright, 
Every project is different. question um yeah i feel like there always has to be regardless of where it, uh, the instrumentation of a project ends up there's always a beginning moment with me behind the piano mm -hmm. looking at a scene and i feel like i have to have this sort of eureka moment where i stumble on a chord sequence or a melody that's totally connected to a character or a situation one couldn't live without the other um And I think if I, until I have that moment, I can't really move forward. Right, so okay. there's always, and sometimes that happens instantly, sometimes it takes a minute. Um, and then from there, you know, the choice of instruments gets kind of mm -hmm. figured out. And I, I tend to get very inspired by sound and that melodies get born out of like sound choices. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think there's always got to be that, that beginning moment. And preceding that moment is always a moment of absolute terror where I think that <laughs> that's it. There's no more melodies. It's all over. Everything's been said, right, but so you know, there's always something left somehow. Okay, so how do you get into the right headspace when you don't, when you do know what direction you have to go in? How do you get into the headspace? Um, you know, I I kind of believe in in work. I, my wife is a painter, and she we both share this kind of similar work ethic that she I think borrowed from Francis Bacon, who didn't believe in in inspiration. He believes in just work, and okay. I, I kind of believe in that too. Like every day you know there's routine and, and that's kind of how I approach everything mm -hmm. um the day is very kind of specific I you know get to my studio at like 8 30 and I'm okay. like done by five and then there'll be maybe a late shift after bath time with the kids you know I have a, a studio in my house as well as a studio that I go to work mm -hmm. at um so yeah I guess that's kind of th that's how I tend to approach it I I know that routine. eventually that like okay. that moment of mm -hmm. The eureka moment is called it that like that happens eventually but you know it's just it it's comes funny to... because when you think of artists you think of this free-flowing totally whatever. and that's and then when i'm learning from these interviews there is routine and there's a method that has to be followed yeah you can't kind of rely on mm -hmm. it being some sort of lightning bolt like, right especially when there's a looming deadline mm -hmm. so you know the the great thing is that i i sincerely believe that the more you do that and more that you work and you do get to kind of can sort of harness the lightning bolt i guess um i find that if i take you know like in the summer let's say i'll go back to europe for mm -hmm. a month and come back to work you know late summer and it's like it takes me a minute to sort of get back to that place it's sort of it is a muscle i think mm -hmm. you have to sort of exercise okay um favorite or most memorable moment of finding the right Limey. It, it's normally just the one that I did right. most recently, so um, it would probably be that right now. Okay. Um, I just I, I'm about three quarters of the way through a show called Unbelievable um, with Tony Collette and uh, oh, okay. Merritt Weaver, um, and stumbling on their theme was was something kind of delightful that happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, didn't require any torturous moments, and that was like sometimes there's. You know, I'll I'll find something from 
miking up a synth through an amp in a weird way mm -hmm. that I hadn't thought of doing, and something drops down the back of the amp and creates some terrible feedback distortion. And, you know, fortunately that day there was a record happened to be switched on, and you know, you capture some magic. So That's awesome. Every now and again. <laughs> um, okay, so stepping away from your own work, what is the last show or movie? Um, where you were moved by the music? Um, I, funny, talking of Tony Collette, I really enjoyed Hereditary. Did you see that movie? Not yet. Um, it's scored by a guy called Colin Stetson. Who's, um, I'd, I'd heard of him before. Mm -hmm. he's a, I'm also a saxophone player. I started out as a saxophone player, and he's also, he, he's famous yeah, for kind of making very strange sounds with his, with his instrument. Um, and he, he did a fantastic score, I thought, to that movie. Um, yeah, I think that would be... I read somewhere that um, you sang <laughs> the score to Star Wars to your parents. <laughs> That's right. That old, so they handed you a violin. Old. Yep. Okay. <laughs> That's... That's a great story. How do you sing? <laughs> I literally, it was like, I remember it so clear. clearly. I was like six years old and like went down to the kitchen and just hummed it to them oh. from start to finish <laughs> over breakfast. It took like an hour and a half, That's obviously. Awesome. Um, and they were like, okay, this is a thing, <laughs> isn't it? And not long after that, I think I, I had this cassette, which was this John Williams cassette. And I just, it just like blew my face off that this, all this music was created by one human being. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think that was yeah, possible. Yeah. And when I like got my head around that, I was like, I want to do that. So it's kind of the beginning of all of it. I've seen uh, I've seen him conduct a few times since. I'm like a true fanboy of that man. Something else. So, what advice would you have wanted to receive when you were a young aspiring musician? Um, go and be a plumber. <laughs> no, not really. Um, you know, I guess like maybe to kind of cling on to some early friendships, and you know, I've moved around a lot, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and I think relationships are really important, and that's probably the the most important thing. And also just being not being afraid to experiment, and take risks. And I find myself sort of getting distracted by a lot of things. I feel like I've it's taken me a bit longer to focus on one area. You know, I was in a band for a while. I was a jazz musician, right. released techno records. I was kind of all over the place, but there was always this thing that I mm -hmm. wanted to do, this sort of nagging thing that I wanted to do since I was a kid, and I never really focused on it and I think that that would be something I wish that I had been forced to do a bit more so yeah okay nice well thank you very much for thank your time you. it's great to meet you too